Welcome to In Layman's Terms, a podcast dedicated to stories of discipleship and putting Scripture to use in our daily lives. I'm your host, Todd Seifert. I'm the Communications Director for the Great Plains Conference of the United Methodist Church, comprised of just fewer than 1,000 churches throughout Kansas and Nebraska. I'm also a certified lay minister in the United Methodist Church, so what you hear on this show truly comes to you in layman's terms. I have more than 25 years' experience teaching the Bible to everyone from teenagers to 90-somethings, and I served as a journalist for 20 years prior to entering ministry. So I'm excited to share with you stories of disciples in action and to explore with you what the Bible has to teach us in the 21st century. Some episodes focus on a person or church doing great things to serve as the hands and feet of Christ. Some episodes feature interviews with experts who can help us along our faith journey. Still others include short reflections on Scripture. Thank you for joining me. Welcome to a special short series of podcasts focused on the known Episcopal candidates for the South Central Jurisdiction of the United Methodist Church. The people you will hear in these interviews have offered themselves up for the role of bishop. The elections will take place the first week of November in Houston, Texas, with a consecration service planned for November 5th. Each of these interviews was conducted via Zoom video conferencing during the month of October, and all seven episodes have been released at once, so you can hear all of them in short order. A couple of quick caveats before playing the recording of our conversation. First, the delegates have spent considerable time with each of the candidates at this point, so these interviews weren't really conducted for the people who will be electing bishops. The interviews were done with the idea that laity and clergy could learn just a little bit more about each of the people who have offered themselves up for the episcopacy. Second, I asked all the candidates the same questions. I didn't interject much and just let them talk. I did insert a question about where they saw hope for the denomination if they did not address that in an earlier question. So you'll notice me asking that question of some people and not of others. It simply had to do with the way they answered previous questions. Finally, as I record this intro, regular listeners will note that I have a bad cold, so I apologize for the squeaky and or gravelly voice. It was even worse during some of the interviews, so again, I apologize for the strange voice on my behalf. I think that's it. So without further delay, here's one of my seven interviews with Episcopal candidates for the South Central Jurisdiction. I'm joined now by Reverend Laura Merrill. Uh, she is a district superintendent in the Rio, Texas conference. Laura, thank you for joining me on In Layman's Terms. Thank you so much for having me. I just kind of want to start off by having you tell people what you feel is some of the most important biographical information uh, about yourself. Well, I guess in, in some ways, the answer to that question probably lies in the eyes of the beholder. But but in terms of the things that feel like they have made the biggest uh impact on my identity. Uh, probably everything from being a preacher's kid, a preacher's granddaughter. Um, and, you know, that can either lead you farther into the church or farther away from it. And I'm, I'm, I'm grateful to be one who uh, took a long, long trip around to, to, to ordain ministry, long, long way around to another continent, actually. But but who, uh, for whom the church has just been this beautiful, uh, affirming home and uh, a place where I've learned a lot about my own gifts and my own call in the world, um, whether as a lay person uh, in my earlier years or, or now as a, a clergy person. Um, in my young adult life, I served as what's called a mission intern, or at the time it was kind of a young adult missionary 
in, uh, in Chile and then in Arizona with the Desert Southwest uh, Conference at the time. And so that really, uh, you know, cemented my Spanish skills. It um, gave me this, it really kind of met my curiosity about the world and maybe some basic anthropology gene or something about how different people live and different people celebrate their culture. And, and really I have enjoyed um, the, the kind of energy I get from serving as a bridge person. I think I, I, I've been that way, but that was really a, a place that I was able to serve out of that and, and learn a lot about the church in the process. Um, you know, since then, I guess it was, it was local church. Well, I went to, went to seminary in Atlanta. That was amazing. Uh, worked for the seminary there for a couple of years and then, and then became a local pastor, uh, you know, pursued ordination here in what was at the time the Southwest Texas Conference. And so local church ministry has been another really uh, fundamental kind of stake in the ground for me, the pulpit and the, and the table in particular, just that worship life, teaching the scriptures, um, and then, uh, again, that bridge uh, between the church, what's so often an internally focused place, and into the lives of the people around the church, and um, just giftedness in that, such a, such a, uh, a place of beauty and, and energy and hope. Um, so the, those are the, the main things. I mean, I've been on the cabinet since 2010, which is a little weird, but, um, but I've learned a lot, certainly, in this position as well, just different perspectives on the life of the church. Um, but it's those, it's those, it's that service in the world, even as a district superintendent, I've, I have felt that um, connection to the life of service in the world and been very grateful. That's maybe more than you wanted to know, but. No, that's great. Um, let's, let's back up to your call story a little bit. I'm sure you touched on some of that. You're going to, I'll ask you to repeat a little bit of it, I guess. Sure. Tell us a little bit about how you came to be in, in toward ordained ministry. Yeah. Well, I mean, my dad was a great big presence. Uh, he took, you know, he was a, a very, very, um, uh, well, just, a, he was a big, he was a big character. And, and so no way was I going to do what he did. Um, I was going to, you know, make my own way um, for my own path. I was interested in, in the role of the church in, um, in helping the poor in particular, not helping the poor, that's not really the way, that might've been the way I would put it at the time, but but in college, um, I questioned everything as I think you should do. And, um, and I really saw this mission route as my own way and my own path. And so um, uh, my dad did come from Mexican American roots in Tucson, Arizona. There's a long story about his, his family, um, and so was raised, I was raised Anglo actually as a result, but have that, that uh, heritage. And so was so grateful to be assigned to Tucson um, without, you know, just one of those God things that uh, I didn't ask for. And so to claim that part of my life, um, you know, that part of my identity during that time of my life was, was very powerful. I think it was working on the conference staff in Desert Southwest uh, that where I really, I was going to go to law school. I was accepted actually in Berkeley and was going to do that. But just, it was, it was, it was hearing the preaching of, of Bishop Leontine Kelly, who was the first black woman Bishop in our, in our denomination. Uh, she was our annual conference preacher one year. And she just had me in a puddle 
every time she spoke. And I, I didn't know what to do with myself. Uh, I, I just found myself just kind of collapsing. And she just said, you know, I went up to her all snivelly and crying or something, probably very embarrassing looking. And, and she just said to me, you know, sister, I'm just the preacher, the distance between the pulpit and the pew, that's God's business. And you need to go tend to whatever this is. And so, um, so I decided to go to seminary instead. And I still was not going to be a preacher because that's what my dad did. I was going to be a missionary. Um, and then my last semester in seminary, it was really where I finally, I think, came to terms with my own gifts and my own calling around worship and, and, um, and the sacraments and how important they are to me personally and how uh, they are interwoven into what I believe my vocation is about, whether that's as a lady, lay person or a clergy person. So, you know, that's that started the, the trail that I'm on, but it's been this evolving, like it is for a lot of people. Hopefully your call doesn't ever like, well, I answered it when I was 27 and that's been the end of that story. I mean, certainly not for me. And I think not for any of us. Um, it didn't put me in the clergy category, but I think we're all called and we're all hopefully on the path of figuring out what God means to do with us. And so it's been a big adventure. You mentioned the evolution of call uh, for every person, and, and by offering yourself to the episcopacy, you're you're kind of admitting that that's another evolution possibly for you. Why are you willing to be considered for this kind of role at this time in the history of the United Methodist Church? Yeah, that's a good question. Why would anyone? I I, I honestly think it's um, in part because as hard as this is, and and you know I'm. I'm on the front line of disaffiliation. I, I, I stand in front of churches and I feel like I'm the only one in the room making a case for the United Methodist Church. And sometimes it's, it's true. Sometimes that's true in front of you know, over hundred people. And, and, and that's really hard. Yet at the same time, it is, I, I do it because I'm hopeful and I do it because I wanna be a part of that church. And, and so I, I mean, I know most candidates are like, well, I never had any idea of being a bishop until everybody told me I should be a bishop. It's it's some version of that, but it it's really, as much as anything, it feels like um, if it were an administrative thing, like from when I was a kid, I would just have, I'd be running the other direction. But I believe now, I think there is there's room for bishops to, and, and our, we have bishops who are doing this, who serve to keep the body um, reminded of our purpose that is beyond ourselves and of the promise of God, which is trustworthy. And that if we are to look around at the world or even at what we feel as scarcity and decline in the church, we, I, I can't, those cannot, those don't, those don't finally, uh, measure up or even out with with what I believe to be true about God. And and I just, God's not done with us. And as hard as this moment is, I want to be a part of moving into the new thing. And, and so it, I've got a lot of experience that the church has invested in me. Um, I didn't ever really seek any of this until, except for maybe that very first part of going to Chile. 
Um, that's, that's the last thing I ever went looking for myself. The rest of it's come looking for me. And so I, I'm grateful to this church for teaching me and leading me and putting me in positions of leadership. And I just want to serve in the place where I can have the biggest impact uh, with regard to why we're here and what good thing we might accomplish together. And if the church chooses to, you know, put me in that role, then, then that's great. And if not, I'll continue to do what I'm doing right here. And, um, and it's all toward the good. You mentioned leadership. So let's get into that a little bit. Um, how would you lead the United Methodist Church going forward in this season of disaffiliations over human sexuality concerns? Yeah. I, I, I mean, I start from the fundamental place that um, I know there's a lot of talk about how the, how the church is kind of caved into the world. I think I think the most dangerous place for us to cave into the world is by becoming so polarized that we can't speak to one another anymore, that we can't, there, there aren't any places left in our communities where people who disagree can sit at the same table and, and have ongoing relationship. It's certainly not the school board. It's certainly not the city council. It's often not the PTA. It, it, you know, we may be the last place where we're, where we're able to create safe spaces, Margaret Wheatley calls them islands of sanity, where people can remember that, that we can hold each other's lives and differences in tension with love and humility and gentleness and honor. And, and, um, and another, just we can be a place where folk can remember they may not know the whole story yet, that I don't know everything. There's not everything for me. I don't know everything about you and you don't know everything about me. And, and so I, first of all, that'd be the fundamental understanding is that we need to be countercultural and we need to offer the world the example, see how they love each other. People who are able to suspend the fighting in order to do things for other people and in order to grow in love. The only way that John Wesley said we needed to be perfect was in love. And that's in the Bible. And, and, and I just, I think that's our task in this moment. You know, that's the foundation, but then how to lead is, is you know, again, we have to have eyes for the life outside of ourselves. Um, because if we don't, and we don't understand that, that Christ is both in us and outside of us, we're going to miss the boat for this moment. So there's excitement for me in people developing relationships with their neighbors. That's an exciting thing. And it's an energy giving thing. Um, and I think for us to be focused on why we're here, what our identity is, first our identity, then our purpose, and then to, to act out of that purpose in ways that change the world for better. I just that that's that's what how I would hope to lead in the midst of what is admittedly a very difficult moment of disagreement um, and of incredible shift for certain annual conferences in particular. Uh, they're going to look very, very different. And the way we move through that is by just keeping on reminding ourselves, who are we? Why are we here? And what's what is it that's ours to do today? Human sexuality obviously has been the focal point uh, for several years, uh, longer than that, but very focused the last few years. But let's talk about what other issues besides that do you see as important or critical to the future of the United Methodist Church? Yeah. 
Well, I think, you know, boy, we, we've been on a journey. Um, as some white people in particular since 2020, uh, uh, re regarding racism and learning and the kinds of things that black people, indigenous people, other people of color have known for a long time because it happens to them. Um, I, th I think this journey of, of learning how to talk about things that um, people who are in a, in a less um, affected position often don't talk about because we don't have to um, and it's uncomfortable. I believe we're gonna need to um, continue to learn and grow with love and patience and generosity with each other around issues of race in our, in our communities and in our church. And, um, and, and um, I mean, I, I wrote a piece recently that, that talked about the fact that in many places, including churches I've led, the way we maintain unity was by not talking about things. Um, we, we were able to be unified because we didn't talk about hard things. And sometimes families do that. Good heavens. I mean, we, that, and that's the best we can do sometimes, but I, I hope we can do better than that as a church and that we can learn skills, um, maturity, uh, have leaders who can help us walk through conversations that can lead to healing and to growth. Um, and uh, so, so that I think racism and, and the, and the impact of, of race and the kind of inequities on our church, on our history and on the history that continues to be lived out, that's gonna be something we're gonna to need to pay better attention to. Um, I think I think anytime you're, you're looking at difference and a particular difference where there's been suffering involved or hurt, you know, those are skills that will help us reach and, and, and connect with a community around us that is different from inside the church. So many of our congregations are older, whiter, uh, often sometimes better educated, sometimes not, you know, different culturally from the people around them. And, and these are skills we have to learn. And they're skills that, that remind us that love is powerful. And if we will love in a way that's humble, we really can learn more about each other and 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 not hurt each other right but but begin to build new communities that look different what you mentioned there was a, a fracture in society and so i'd like to ask you about unity here uh how would you as a bishop help unify people remaining in the united methodist church and how have you fostered unity and mission either in your current appointment or in previous steps along your ministry journey hmm. Well, again, so much of it is, is, has to be rooted in a spiritual understanding of, of we love because he first loved us. Um, none of us earned our way into this church. We were all accepted uh, by grace and by uh, this unmerited, just goodwill of God toward us. Um, and so it's to, to continue to, you know, encourage the church to be rooted in that spiritual understanding of ourselves. But then, as I said earlier, I think often focusing on a common task when we're different people, there is nothing like picking up a hammer next to somebody or, or cooking a big old pan of enchiladas to, to, to bond you to each other. And so one of my, you know, 
fondest memories in the church was when I was appointed to the uh, southernmost tip of Texas, the Rio Grande Valley, along the Mexican border. And it was prior to our conference unification. So Rio Grande Conference and Southwest Texas Conference lived alongside each other. There are many churches in the same town, often within sight of each other, that um, they knew each other maybe, but they didn't really work together. Sometimes there were exceptions to that. But I really hoped that as, as it looked like we were moving toward unification, that those churches in that place of, of a great concentration of Rio Grande Conference folk, that, that we could learn to work together and through that work form relationships. And so um, I was grateful for a, a UMCOM grant uh, back in the day, it was in 20, whatever that was, 11 or 12, uh, Rethink Church grant. And, um, and so we, we launched a program called Serve Our Schools, where every little town, you know, there's a little chain of towns, and every little town, the churches were encouraged to ask the local school or the local school district, what do you need? And, and, and uh, you know, if we could do something for you, what would it be? And, and in place after place, we found, first of all, churches working together who hadn't known each other. And secondly, we found school districts who would say, well, we need this. And, and the church, maybe 12 people, six people would offer what they could. And the next thing you knew, it was a catalyst. Now the city's offering this. Well, we've had this irrigation system, but we didn't have anybody to put it in. Well, the nursery is willing to now give, you know, 16 bushes to landscape the, the yard. And, and so we were, we brought this little bit, it's like the feeding of the 5,000, we brought this little bit and the, it was a catalyst for these other things to happen. New relationships, new trust, you know, this mission director gets on the, the you know, speed dial of the, of the high school principal. Well, you know what? God can do something with that. And so it's to say there's stuff to be done. And it's not just go be paternalistic and do a bunch of stuff to people, but it is to say work together, ask people what they need. Let's work together to, to serve and in humility, form relationships with each other. I think that's, I really think that heals us. It makes us feel like we have agency, like there's something God can do with us that matters. And, um, and it's the way forward for us. I just really, I am very, I, I believe that. And I think it's the way into unity as well. Well, thank you for sharing those remarks. Um, I'm closing all these with kind of a lighter thing, just asking everyone, tell us your favorite Bible verse and why that verse resonates with you. Mm, oh my gosh. Well, it feels like sometimes that that changes weekly. Um, I, I, I always resonate to... Um, I always resonate to Luke and I, now you're, you're, you're catching me and it's Luke four. And I never can remember the particular verse that it starts in, but it's Jesus uh, who unrolls the scroll and reads from it um, in the temple and, and, and reads from Isaiah, you know, the Lord has anointed me uh, to bring good news to the poor, you know, set at liberty, those who are oppressed and to announce the year of the Lord's favor. Right. And, and I just, I think, what would it be if we were that church? What would it be if, if we as his body understood that to be our task, to announce the year of the Lord's favor? What a gift. Um, and what a privilege to, to be able to be a part of that. Um, 
it's just, you know, the, the things burning down all around us, it feels like all the time. You turn the news, it's just a mess. And and I don't, you know, I guess the other one is in John, like the other text where, you know, the disciples asked Jesus, where would where would we go if not for you? Who else has the words of life? There is no, there, it's not like you're going to turn someplace else in this world and find something that's not crazy. Um, this, this is hope. I think it's the hope of the world. I think we certainly, uh, at the very least, can be hope for each other as we seek to live out our faithfulness in the one who we know has brought us along the way. Um, whatever else is true around us, um, you know, we have experiences of grace and mercy in our own hearts and our own lives and homes that no one can take from us. And in my life, at least, that just pours out in a way that makes me, it's just grateful, joyful, wants to spread a table, invite other people to join in that joy. Um, so that the year of the Lord's favor is one that I just, it kind of gives me chills to imagine that we might be living in that year, despite, despite what we see all around us. Yeah. Reverend Laura Merrill, thank you so much for joining me on In Layman's Terms, and thank you for offering yourself up for such an important position at this time in the history of the church. Thank you, Todd. I appreciate the, the space and time for conversation. You've been listening to one of seven brief interviews with Episcopal candidates in the South Central Jurisdiction of the United Methodist Church. I hope these talks give you some insight into the people who will serve as bishops, if elected, at the South Central Jurisdictional Conference the first week of November. And if one of these people turns out to be your new bishop, now you will have at least a little insight into their call stories and a little more information about how they intend to lead your annual conference. In Layman's Terms is a podcast sponsored by the Great Plains Conference of the United Methodist Church and by me, your host, Todd Seifert. If you like what you've heard in this episode, please go rate us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening. It helps others find us. And if you're so inclined, please share the link to this podcast on your social media channels. Our music and sound effects come via subscriptions to Universal Production Music and to Storyblocks. You can find archived episodes on the conference website at www.greatplainsumc.org slash podcasts or on my website, toddseifert.com. Please email me with any questions or comments to tseifert at greatplainsumc.org and I'll do my best to respond as quickly as possible. Thank you for listening. And until next time, please do what you can to help make more disciples of Jesus Christ. You can play a small part in helping change a life.